Okay, friends, come on back if you would, please. Thank you for greeting each other. Come on back if you would. And if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you can find the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There should be some Bibles in the back as well if you'd like a Bible or need a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As you can see, we are continuing our little series we're calling Refocus. After a couple of tumultuous years in our society and culture, and really for each one of us, we're taking an opportunity to sort of refocus who we are and what we're all about. And we're doing so through selected passages in this letter of 1 Corinthians. We're not preaching every single passage, but selected texts that we think are particularly helpful for us right now to refocus, as it were, who we are and what we're about. So we're skipping forward to chapter 3. We want to refocus leaders and the local church. Sharon's going to pray for us and read our passage. Um, we're reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 23. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. 
all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word of yours. Thank you for reminding us that um, true wisdom only comes from you. And Father, we want that. We just pray that you would pour your wisdom into us through the preached word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sharon. Recently, at a large denominational meeting, a well-known pastor stood up. There had been some controversy surrounding some of this pastor's recent actions and some of the happenings in this particular church. And so for about six minutes, this pastor highlighted some amazing statistics from this particular church that he pastors. He said, quote, my wife and I could not have built our church in any other denomination. He said, this church, this particular church had planted 90 new churches in their county and thousands of churches around the world. He said, under his leadership, they had baptized over 56,000 new believers and sent out almost 27,000 members overseas. He said he had personally trained, personally trained 1.1 million pastors, which he said, quote, is more than all the seminaries put together. Now, in no way am I trying to put down this particular pastor. God has genuinely used he and his wife, and thank God for that. My point is simply that he raises some important questions for you and me. Questions like, who ultimately builds the church? Who ultimately builds the church? Is building the local church ultimately a human activity or a divine one? And second, we might ask, how should we then count success in the church? Those are impressive numbers, incredible numbers. Is that how we should define success? Or does God do so differently? And third, maybe the bigger question, maybe the big picture question, does the local church really matter that much anyway? Does God actually care so much about the local church? And if so, why? Those are questions we should answer about our own church, about this church. And each of those questions is answered in this passage from a God-centered perspective, from a God-centered perspective. That's what I want to gain with you this morning. That's what I believe God is wanting us to glean from this passage, a God-centered lens, a God-centered perspective, some God-centered glasses to rightly view even our own church. So three main questions I highlighted that I believe are answered through the three metaphors provided here, and I want to look at each in turn. So first... First thing to glean here is that God is the ultimate builder of the church. That God, God himself, is the ultimate builder of 
the church. Recall the church here in Corinth is dividing over their allegiance to different leaders. And so the apostle says in verse 4, are you not being merely human? Are you not being merely human? Are you not acting in a merely human way, dividing like this, having allegiances to particular leaders and creating factions? Are you not acting in a merely human way, he says in verse 4? Are you not using merely human values and a merely human mindset? And then he begins to correct that mindset in verse 5. What, what then, verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. <laughs> Servants through whom you believed as the Lord. The Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God, God gave the growth. So he says, here's the right way to think about us. Servants. Servants. Let, let me help you, he says, with a metaphor from agriculture. He says, me and Apollos, we're, we're basically farmhands. Farmhands. I, I, I brought the good news to you in Corinth. I planted the seed, sure. Apollos came later on. And he, he watered the seedlings, sure. But God gave the growth. God did it. Do you see how he's shifting his mindset from verse 4, you're acting in a merely human way, thinking in a merely human way, to now a, a different sort of mindset. God gave the growth. Think about this metaphor. No sane farmer stands in his field in September, corn about this high, and says, look at what I achieved in my own strength and ability alone. Now, he may or she may very well say, I had to plow, and I had to sow the seed, and I definitely had to make sure there was proper irrigation. But if their eyes are open to the Creator, they say, yet God caused this growth. God designed that seed, and God created the earth, and God made the earth to bring forth this crop. God did it. God brought the growth. Friends, how much more so when it comes to spiritual growth? How much more so when it comes to spiritual life? and spiritual progress. You and I can't create that in someone. We can't transfer someone out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, as Colossians 1 says. I can't do that. You can't do that. We can't cause a single person to genuinely grow in Christ's likeness from within. God does that. God alone regenerates the human soul. God alone transforms people from within to be more like his son. That's why the apostle says in verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. We're not anything but only God, only God who gives the growth. He's, he's highlighting the difference between means of ministry and the source of ministry. Means of ministry and the source of ministry. It's like the difference between a cup and a great flowing fountain. A cup is a fine delivery means for getting the water to your mouth. 
The cup is not the source of the water. The fountain is. The Corinthians are saying, I like the Paul cup. No, I like the Apollos cup. And the apostle is saying, God is saying, the cup is nothing compared to the fountain. He's saying, behold the fountain. Direct your allegiance to the fountain, not the cup. Let's take a biblical example. I like the scene in 1 Kings where the prophet Elijah, who has been used by God to do amazing things, is now super discouraged. He's in a cave. He says, it's all for naught. God shows up, speaks to him in a small or thin voice and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you in this cave? Elijah pours out his complaint. Oh, God, your people have broken your covenant. They've killed your prophets. They're trying to kill me. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. It's kind of like us saying, the church is hopeless. Ministry is useless. The culture is going to overwhelm us. A cultural tsunami is going to kill us. It's all for naught. Do you know what God says to him? He says, okay, go appoint some other human means for me. I want you, Elijah, to anoint two kings and anoint your successor, Elisha, to be the prophet in your place. And then Elijah moves off the scene and God's purposes move forward in the earth. What a fascinating illustration. The great Elijah. Thank you. You've done great. Time is done. And God's purposes keep cruising on forward. In other words, friends, in other words, no man or woman is indispensable. God uses means for sure, but he gives the growth. He forwards his purposes. I think this is important for us in our day, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way at all, but in our day there is a good bit of talk about what people have called the rise of the celebrity pastor, the celebrity pastor. And I'm so glad for faithful leaders who have a godly platform for gospel influence. But many more celebrity pastors and leaders have failed in significant ways, and the result has been real disillusionment for many and, and a kind of cynicism sometimes toward the church. And we need to hear verse 21, where the apostle concludes his argument, let no one boast in men. Let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Apollo, Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. As a mentor of mine said this week, what we really need today is faithful leaders, not famous leaders. It kind of resonated with me. What we need today are faithful leaders, not famous ones. 
Faithful men and women who say, verse 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Faithful men and women who say, verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. We are just God's fellow workers. We are the farmhands in the field, but you are God's field, God's building. You local church in La Mesa, he's speaking to a local church here, you are God's field. You are where God is at work, bringing the growth, because God is the ultimate builder of the church. And before we move on, I just wanted to make a little application for parents. And if you're not a parent, please help the parents around you to get this. Help us. It is easy for us at times to ascribe too much power to our parenting as if we could cause spiritual transformation in our children. And then what happens is we take too much credit or we take too much blame. We have an important role to play, right? We plant, we water. We have an important role to play. I am not not, not saying otherwise. But I believe, parents, God would have you rest in this reality, a certain peace in your heart, knowing that He plays the decisive role in your child's spirituality. God can let you rest in that. And so we pray. We pray in light of this, right? We pray with faith, we pray with confidence, we pray earnestly, certainly for our children and our friends and our church. Why? Because God is the ultimate builder of the church. That's the first question we answer, first metaphor. What about that second question about success? Well, secondly, God evaluates the quality of how we build. He's the ultimate builder. And then we find, secondly, God evaluates the quality, the quality of how we build as means right here. See, the metaphor now shifts from agriculture to construction. Verse 10. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder or a, a wise architect, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it there in Corinth. Let each one take care. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's saying, wise architect, I laid a foundation. That foundation was Jesus, shorthand for the good news, shorthand for Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. That's our foundation right here. But foundations are funny things. If you have a good, solid foundation in a building or a home, you completely forget about it. You have a good foundation, you have the privilege of then ignoring that foundation and enjoying the rest of the house. We must not do that here, not with this foundation. This foundation determines everything else we do. Verse 12, now, if anyone builds on the foundation, Jesus, 
with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest, made known, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has done, built, anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself would be saved, but only as through fire. Now, these words have been often misunderstood and misapplied. This is not about a place called purgatory, which the Bible doesn't teach. This is not about carnal Christians, quote-unquote, barely getting into heaven, you know, snuffing out the flames. This is about local churches and church leaders in particular and God evaluating, did we build in ways reflective of and compatible with the foundation? Jesus. That, that's what's in view here. God evaluating church leaders, yes, and local churches. God evaluating, did we build in a way that was reflective of and compatible with the foundation of Jesus Christ? Now, kids, you know what I'm talking about when it comes to building with a or building on a compatible foundation. You, you know what this is. Because hopefully you enjoy Legos like I did. So if we're going to build a Lego house, we'd have a Lego platform, right? A Lego foundation. So if, kids, if you built a Lego foundation for your house and then you said, or I said to you, Let's build a house on that Lego foundation with Tinker Toys. What would you say? Great idea. No, you'd say, that's not going to work because Tinker Toys do not fit with Legos. Only Legos fit with Legos. That's what God is driving at. We must build in a way that fits with the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's going to go on to talk about later, and we saw last week, that we have a weak message, a, a foolish message in the eyes of this world. From a human perspective, weak and foolish message. But it is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So this is a call to build in a way that reflects the power and wisdom of God in Christ. That's the gold and silver and precious stones as opposed to the wood, hay, straw. The point of all those materials is to realize that some things will survive that test by fire and some things won't on the last day. Some things will be lasting and some won't on that great judgment day. As verse 13 puts it, each one's work will become manifest for the day, the day will disclose it. I want to just feel that with you for a moment. That ups the ante, doesn't it? In a healthy way for what we're doing right here. For me, for you, our elders, our deacons, small group leaders, ministry leaders, I think by extension all of us. 
This is local churches being examined by God on the last day. This is Grace Church in La Mesa being examined by God on the last day. Now, I don't know how this works, but that's what's happening here. God examining, did we build in Grace Church with lasting qualities and lasting values that were compatible with the foundation of Jesus Christ? It's like, it's like what we do in Southern California as we talk about preparing for the big one, right? The catastrophic earthquake that we hope never happens, but we prepare for the big one because the big one will reveal. It will reveal which buildings were built to code with sufficient materials. Those buildings will remain standing. Others will not. God is saying um, the big one's coming. <laughs> for every person, yes, but also for churches. He's asking us, what's going to be revealed on that day for us? Did we build with a message that was wise to this world, wise from a human perspective, or did we build with God's wisdom in His Son? This could be very hope-giving. Did we build with human strategies that seemed to work pragmatically, the next thing down the pike that might work, be the key that unlocks everything? Or did we rely most on God's power in Jesus Christ? Did we gather a crowd for a show with compelling entertainment? Or did we gather to worship the living God and enjoy Him together and see lives transformed by the gospel? Do you see how the question really gets at how do we define success? As Americans, we ask, well, what's the attendance? What's the rate of expansion? Give me some metrics. Can you draw me a graph? God says, my definition is actually found in this passage. I will test for quality, not so much quantity. We want more lives transformed by Jesus. Don't misunderstand. Of course we do. But I'm talking about the final day here. God will evaluate quality, how we built, not how large we became. The passage says the fire will test what sort of work what kind of work we have done. So friends, how do we live for that day together? How do we live for that day together as a body? There are a few, well, five sort of summary values that I think capture that question. It means for us, we, we do seek to build for God's glory. We want His name exalted, not our own. It means we gather like this for genuine worship, to enjoy God together in worship, not to be entertained. 
It means we build intentionally with God's Word because in God's Word we behold Jesus and His finished work. So we value God's Word as it's preached in our fellowship and in our ministry to each other. We care for each other with open Bibles. It means relying on God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the good news of Jesus to our lives. So it's you and me remembering that God gives the growth. God gives the growth. We don't cause that. We pray and depend on Him who gives the growth. It means valuing God's people. The good news makes us a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, single, married, younger, older. We're a family together. And so we genuinely love each other or are called to love each other and care for each other. That means, lastly, we engage in God's mission, God's mission, the outward mission of this good news because it's news to proclaim. God's glory, God's word, God's spirit, God's people, God's mission. I think those are gold and silver and costly stones. A a God-centered lens for success. Not, Not nickels and noses, as some have said, but values, friends. Values reflective of and compatible with the foundation, Jesus Christ. Because God evaluates the quality, the quality of how we build. So we've answered the question of who ultimately builds the church. We've answered the question of how we should define success. But we said there's one more question. Does all this really matter anyway? Does the local church really matter that much? And why? Well, third, third metaphor. Third, let's see that God judges those who destroy what is built. God judges those who destroy what is built. Verse 16. Do you not know that you, local church in Corinth, that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. Surely you are aware, local church in Corinth, surely you know that you are God's temple, right? And surely you know, local church in La Mesa, you are God's temple, God Himself dwelling in us. Do you see God showing us how important the local church is to Him? And why? Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Why? Well, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, this is a very sober warning, and to be honest, I didn't find anyone who could fully explain this warning to me. It's addressed to anyone in verse 17, not just church leaders, it would seem. I assume at the minimum, God wants us to be helpfully sobered by how seriously He takes factions and disunity and by how seriously He loves even local churches like ours. For God's temple is holy, the Holy One Himself dwelling in us. You know, the White House in Washington is 
treated very differently than my house in La Mesa. You're probably aware of that. The White House in Washington has all kinds of, I assume, anti-aircraft batteries and a big fence around it, heavily guarded. That's not true of my house in La Mesa. The difference is, I guess most fundamentally, the one who dwells in each house. The one who dwells in the White House in Washington is incredibly important to our government. No matter what your politics may or may not be, that, that, that's the reality. Far more important to our government and our nation than the one who dwells in my house. So the White House is defended in ways that my house never will be. And so it is here. Because the Holy One dwells among us. Because we are living stones built together. Because the Holy One dwells among us, making us His holy people, His temple, as it were. So He says, if someone destroys my temple, I will respond in kind. Now, I, I want to acknowledge that every local church, including this one, is far from perfect. Okay, let's just put that right on the website. <laughs> far from perfect. In fact, quite imperfect. Come visit. I also want to say to those who maybe come from past church situations in which you were hurt, that I think God wants to care for you. God is showing us that He cares deeply about the welfare of local churches, and that means He cares deeply about what happened to you in that church. He cares very much about that. Listen, your pain, your grief, your sorrow, it, it's not lost on Him. And if someone destroyed that church and treated you like collateral damage, there is a frightening warning in this passage for whomever would do such a thing. But for you, listen, for you, Revelation chapter 7 says, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be your shepherd, your ultimate pastor. He will guide you to springs of living water and will wipe away every tear from your eyes. God cares for you. He cares for his people. He cares for the church and local churches. And he cares for what we're doing right here, friends. He's saying, Grace Church, you are, you are important to me because you are a local expression of the worldwide body of Christ, therefore you are a local expression of my dwelling place. So, yes, see the importance of unity, but yes, see his affection for you, friends. See his affection for us, even in this imperfect church right here. I think we've answered some important questions. From a Godward perspective, from a, a Godward vantage point, I hope you're feeling some 
God-centered lenses on the church, and even this church. It's God who ultimately builds the church. God gives the growth. It's God who evaluates, and therefore He defines success. And God cares very much about His people as His temple, the Holy One dwelling among us. So, friends, use this lens. Put on this pair of glasses and see rightly what all this is about and what you're giving yourself to right here for His glory and let us refocus like that. Let's pray together. And then we will take the Lord's Supper and celebrate Jesus. Take a moment, if you would, just to respond to the Spirit, any ways He may be ministering to you or speaking to you. Or simply receive God's care for you right now. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a privilege you've given us to be your field <laughs> where you give the growth and, yes, you use us as means. We're grateful. And to be a building together, in fact, a specific kind of building, your temple, your dwelling place, thank you. Thank you for your commitment to the church and even local expressions like this one. Father, I pray in particular for any who have been hurt in the past, any who have felt cynical about the church of Jesus Christ, you would minister specifically fresh hope and faith and a sincere awareness of your personal love right now. We thank you that we get to celebrate the objective proof of your love in that you did not spare your only son, but gave him up for us all. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And may that be the effect as we take the bread and the cup together that you are aware of God's great love for you. If you're here this morning and you've not yet trusted Jesus Christ, we are so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. We encourage you right now to take Christ, to trust in His life, death, and resurrection, to take away your sins, to bring you to God. So turn to Christ, I urge you. Trust in what He has done for you. He will bring you to Himself. For the rest of us, in a moment, you'll have a chance to come down the side aisles to take a piece of bread. You have a choice of wine or juice. Take the elements back to your seat, if you would. We'll take communion as a community, as a family, together. So when you're ready, please come.